The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. If you would turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter, and I'm going to preach something to you tonight, if the Lord blesses, that's a message of first impression for me. And so, if it goes well, then we'll give God the glory. If it's a flop, well, then you could just lay it squarely at my feet. Been been looking at this and thinking about this and discussing this with a few of my minister friends over the last several weeks, and one of them accuses me of coming up with the title of his sermon, but I think he actually came up with it, and so I've modified it a little bit so we won't be sued for plagiarism. But I want to talk to you tonight about the nation maker, the nation maker. Let's look in Deuteronomy 32, and we'll ask three questions tonight and try to be timely with our observations because I know it's been a long day. Who makes nations? What is a nation? And why were nations made? Let's begin reading in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 7. And I hope as we go, we'll see just how relevant this is because of the chaotic times that we're living in. In Deuteronomy 32 and 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee the elders, and they will tell thee when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance. When he, the Most High, separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Now, the reference here is given to nations. And if you'll do some studying in the Scripture, you'll find that the nations are a common thread throughout the Scripture. I hope to show that to you as we look through Old Testament to New Testament. But it's a very common thread. And today, it's a very common theme that you will hear in, in one sense, the message is all nations are bad, especially the United States of America, that it's a bad nation. Everything about it is evil. You know, something needs to be done differently. And I don't disagree with some of that. You know, there's no, no doubt that nations are made up of sinful people, and sinful people make mistakes. But what is the origin? We're not talking about some type of social study that where someone says, well, this is, the, you know, the... Uh, this is the way that nations came to be. We want to see what God says about this. And if you don't like what I share with you about this, then uh, I would be more than happy to talk with you about it, but you can certainly take that issue to the Lord because I'm going to try to stick to what the Lord says about these things. Deuteronomy 32 says, the Most High divided to the nations their, their inheritance. When he separated the sons of Adam, that's pre-flood. So before the flood, you can read about how God directed that these nations would be separate. Now, in this particular uh, context right here, I want you to understand in Deuteronomy 32, they're about to go into the promised land. And there are many nations that already make up the promised land. There's already people living there. They already have houses. They already have lands. They already have crops. They already have fields. They already have vineyards. They already have cities. And the Lord says, if you look at the language, it says that he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. So what he's saying here is those nations were in the promised land for the purpose. God allowed them to be in the promised land for the purpose of being set up so that one day his nation would possess it. Now that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that God or, uh, orchestrated or condone the evil that many of those nations, that all of those nations did. As a matter of fact, you can read how God in the book of Leviticus condemns the works of those nations. He says they are wicked. I don't want you to do like they have done. But don't miss the fact that the Lord 
had allowed those nations to build and occupy and prosper in that area so that one day, it says, according to the number of the children of Israel, his nation would come in and possess those nations. Okay, God is the nation maker. In this circumstance right here, over a long period of time, you can see that God builds these nations to, so that ultimately they will take care of his children whenever they are destroyed and his children come in and occupy that promised land. Now that's Old Testament, and we won't just relegate it to the Old Testament. Look in the New Testament, Acts the 17th chapter. We're going to be turning to several different places. We do that mainly because I can't quote it from memory. <laughs> God, the nation maker. Look at what the Apostle Paul says, and we'll begin with verse 24. And this is Paul on Mars Hill as he has observed all of the different idols that have been set up to different gods, and he observes the unknown God, and so he begins to preach to them the unknown God. And in verse 24, the Apostle Paul, in the middle of his, this sermon, he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Now watch this now. And hath made of one blood all nations for men to dwell, of men for to dwell on the face, all the face of the earth. You notice what he's saying there. He is saying that God has made the nations out of one blood. You know, we all come from Adam. We all come from one origin, Adam and Eve. And here it says, he has made of one blood all nations. All nations have descended from one bloodline. And they were separated out by different things that we'll talk about here in a minute. But God is the God of nations who makes those nations. Now watch this too. He hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Now watch this. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Do you hear that? That means that there has never been a nation that existed that either the Lord didn't orchestrate the setting up of that nation or suffered the setting up of that nation, but he knows of that nation and he also knows the boundary from which that nation cannot pass. It's just like he knows the days of our years, right? He knows ultimately that I may live to be whatever age, you may live to be whatever age. He knows ultimately that there's a boundary that you cannot pass. Now we see in the scripture definitely where men like Hezekiah he had an ultimate bound that he could not pass, and when he prayed, God blessed him not to die early or sooner, see? But there's an ultimate bound that you and I cannot pass. There's a, there's a physical limitation that we would reach and just not be able to go any longer. I pray that each and every one of you are able to see the full extent of that life that God would have you to lead. Don't do anything foolish to cut that life short. And I pray that no happenstance would occur, no tragedy would occur uh, where you might have that shortened, see? The same thing applies to nations. Don't, t don't think for one second that God doesn't know about every nation that's ever existed or that ever will exist. God has appointed even the bounds from which they cannot pass. So you, are you with me in terms of what we just read in Deuteronomy? God had appointed a bound, a boundary, from which those nations that occupied the promised land could pass no further. They were going to end whenever the Lord was through with them doing what they had done for all those years, setting up houses and vineyards and uh, uh, crops and cities. The children of Israel just walked in and occupied those places. You see, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Sister Tracy, bless her heart, in 2002, I was so busy trying to get a law practice established 
And Lord knows she was busy expecting Brother Asher. I just turned the house over to her. Build it, honey, whatever you want. And she did a fabulous job. But bless her heart, if you ever want to get, if, if you ladies ever want to get a house built and built in a timely fashion, just be pregnant when you do it. <laughs> because she'd go and sit down at Lowe's on, she'd walk in, she'd waddle in and sit down on something at Lowe's and three or four men would come over, ma'am, can I help you? What can I do? Well, I need this lumber and I need that pipe and I need this. And it's shame on me for being so detached at that point. So if there was anything that, to complain about in that house, I can't say a word, <laughs> but there's nothing to complain about. Praise God, it's an, it's an amazing place to live. But if, how easy would it have been if there just already been a house there? If you could just think and boom, it's there. Well, in a sense, that's what happened to the children of Israel. They'd walk into the, into, the, into the country that had just been vacated there, and they would say, well, I like this house, or I like that house, or I like this house. They could just have their pick. Wouldn't that be wonderful? How much do you think they paid for those houses? Nothing. How much do you think they play, paid to plant the seed that was already planted and coming up out of the ground? Nothing. You see, God is a nation maker. He pushed out those other nations to make his own nation. And all nations descend from one blood. Now, who makes nations? God makes nations. Isaiah 51 and 4, God refers to his own nation. He says, hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation. You know what nation that was. It was the nation of Israel of the Old Testament. That was God's chosen nation that he dealt with in a special way. But you understand, ultimately, he's, he is the nation maker. <laughs> he's also the nation breaker. <laughs> so what is a nation? We can talk all day long about nation this or nation that. Well, let's look and see from the Old Testament, once again, what a nation is. Look at Genesis 10. And in Genesis 10, you have God's definition of what a nation is. It all comes from one blood. It all descends from Adam. But in Genesis 10, you'll read in verse 5, in verse 20, and in verse 31 as it speaks about Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And we'll deal with the last one, which is verse 31, because it's in the order that I would like to put it in. It speaks of what a nation is. And the basic, def the basic Greek word or Hebrew word of nation is ethnos or eth ethnic. You've heard that word ethnic, ethnicity. That's basically what it comes from. And it basic basically means a race. Uh, those that are of the same habit or those that have sameness. See? So in Genesis 10, in verse 31, it says these are the sons of Shem. Now watch what it says. After their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. You have three characteristics of what a nation is. God's definition of a nation is based on families, tongues, which is languages, and lands. In order to be a nation, according to God, it has to be made up of families, it has to be made up of a specific language because it'd be very weird trying to communicate with each other if we didn't have the same language in a family and lands, which means borders or boundaries. So you see, God's definition is families, language, and lands. Now, we all get these visions of grandeur and think, well, you know, I'm sure that I descend from some family of kings or princes or princesses some glorious grandeur. And I like how one preacher put it, that we all come from a crooked farmer and a drunken sailor. <laughs> Adam was a crooked farmer. God said, tend the land, do what I tell you to do. And he didn't do it. He's crooked. And then we come from a drunken sailor, Noah, 
who as soon as he came off the ark, within days, weeks, months maybe, he's drunk as a skunk, as they say, dis defaming and disgracing the name of God that has just delivered him. And people have said, oh, well, he just didn't realize the toxicity of the grapes that were going on at that time. That is not true. <laughs> That's an excuse for somebody that wants to do the same thing. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was getting into, and he was drunk defaming the name of the God that had just delivered him. Isn't God merciful and gracious? So unless we should say, well, we, you know, we come from all these great backgrounds or whatever, we've all got a crooked farmer and a drunken sailor in our background. And I hate to tell the McCools that are here tonight, but I've done some ethnic research on the history of McCools, and I thought, you know, it's got to be some greatness back there somewhere. You know, it's got to be. At first I found out that it's pretty clear that we came... Some of us came from the Scottish, not the Highlands, but the Lowlands, which disturbed me a little bit. I was like, the Lowlands? Surely we come from the Highlands. And then I began to look into some of the lore and legend of McCool's. And the best that I could find and the farthest back that I could go was to a fella named, a legend of a fella named Finn McCool. You know what I'm talking about. You probably looked at it yourself. And I thought, wonder what incredible stuff this guy did. I mean, he's McCool. He's got to do some great stuff, right? Well, the legend of Finn McCool, and it's in a children's book. You can find it. You, some of you mean people will probably go buy it and give it to Chris for Christmas. <laughs> Finn McCool's claim to fame, you guessed it, he was famous for sucking his thumb. As a grown man, he sucked his thumb. And I looked at that and thought about that. I thought, you know, that's about right. <laughs> that's about right. That puts me where I need to be. It puts it all in perspective. No princes, no kings, no great men, just a thumbsucker. <laughs> That's where we come from. That's the legend of the McCool. So the farthest back you can look, the legend and the lore is from this great delivering thumbsucker. <laughs> so we all come from somewhere, and I want to know where the McCools came from. After seeing that, I really don't anymore, but... <laughs> We all want to know where we come from. We, there's a sameness about McCool's. There's some tendencies that they have that some of you I know would like to go into and bash for a while, but we won't get off into that. But there's sameness when it comes to families. It's okay. It's okay to understand that you descend from those that are your ancestors. doesn't mean they were perfect. Some of them may have been thumbsuckers. Some of them may have been kings. Some of them may have been princesses. Who knows? But it, that's just the way life is. You have no control over how you got here, but you came from somewhere. That's a family, you see? And God says that's what makes up nations. You see? There's a move today for you and I to be ashamed of the nations, our nation specifically. And there are some qualities about our nation that we should be ashamed of. But the, the problem with the movement today is it completely discounts the, the God of the nations, and it also discounts the providence of God in history. Because if God can bless some thumbsuckers to come down through time and, and still be around, if he can bless those that were former slaveholders to come down through time and still be around, it's a shame they ever were slaveholders. You see? There's, there's things that we look and we say, well, we wouldn't have done it that way. Well, what are we doing? Are we perfect now? What, would, what are we doing wrong now? See, that loses sight. It says we're, we're doing it right now. We're more elevated. We're, we're a you know, higher mentality now. And that's arrogance in itself. So you see, God makes the nations. God 
is the one who defines what a nation is. Families, language, and lands. I mean, you've got to have land to be a nation, right? <laughs> you know, and listen, I'm not up here advocating, well, we need to have a border wall or we don't need to have a border wall. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to have land to be a nation. <laughs> and a family needs to have land to live on, right? So you see how all those little bitty tiny little constructs there add up to the big picture of a nation has land. God says that. It says that they were divided, Shem, after their families, after their tongues, their languages, and after their lands. Don't ever be ashamed of your language. I'm not talking about you should be if you're using foul language. You should be ashamed. But the tongue that you speak, whether it's English, if you're from another, if, you're, if you were from Germany, if you speak German, if you're from uh, whatever other country, if you're from Tanzania where they speak Swahili, that defines a nation, what they speak, the language that they speak. There's nothing wrong with that. God ordained that. Amen. You see? So now the big question is this, and this is the one we'll spend our time on. Why? Why? Would God make a nation? Why would God make nations? Since we're right there in Genesis 10, I ask you to read on down just a little bit with me in Genesis 11. And it's very, you know, sometimes, you know, the word of God's like a diamond. And sometimes when you're reading on a particular subject, something jumps out at you. Then when you're reading on another subject, something else jumps out at you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit and the, the immensity and the enormity of of the message of God, that you can come back and look at it and it says it, it presents something different to you because you're on, you're on a different thought process. Isn't it interesting what, what happens right after the nations are divided according to their families, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, there comes Genesis 11. The first, at least in the Old Testament, the first attempt by Satan at a one-world government. Right. He's trying to bring the families, the lands, and the nations back to become one so that he can have sway over them. Genesis 11, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there and they said one to another, go to, let us make brick, let us build this tower. Verse four, let us build us a tower, a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that Satan had the plan of, of actually making that tower reach up to heaven. I know he, in his wickedness, knew he could not get back to heaven, but it's just a mockery towards God. The real goal of Satan was to bring everybody back together so he could control them. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. Are y'all listening to this? God says the nations are divided by languages, families, uh, and borders, and, and, uh, and lands. And God says they've all got one language, and this they begin to do. And nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. And the nations went out from there. And every nation that's ever come upon this world and disappeared, whether it was the glory of Rome or whether it was the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian, every nation that's ever existed has come from the dispersing of those nations. The United States of America came many, many years down the road from the dispersing of those nations. Now, stay with me, because I know it's I know it's an unusual subject, but it's so important. Why did God make the nations? Here, 
the Lord saw that there was a problem with the nations, with this, this one world government, everybody being together. And I'm not some conspiracy theorist or nothing like that. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. The reason that God thwarted the nations was so that he would thwart the murderer. And y'all know who the murderer is. It's Satan. You want to know why God made nations? He made nations to thwart the murderer who enjoys a good bloodbath. <laughs> That's what Satan enjoys. Looking at a statistic recently that was shared with me from a study, a, a social study, a social experiment study that had, been take, that had taken place. And in, from 1900 to 2000, y'all, some of y'all may have seen this. It, it can be provided to you if you want to look at it yourself. In, in that century, from 1900 to 2000, 300 million people perished. 186 million according to, uh, pursuant to war. Now you think about some of those wars. More people perished in war in that one century, I think if I've got it right, than all added up through all of centuries. You say, well, it's just because the population increased. No, it's because Satan is putting together the attempt to try to bring the world back under his control again. <laughs> you see? You say, well, I don't know if there's scripture for that. Oh, there's scripture for that. We'll get to Revelation 20 in just a minute. There's some key language there that will help you understand what's going on. How in the world could we be so smart, so educated, so advanced, and have so many advances in technology, advances in uh, military power, advances in medical technology, and all the different things, that we, and yet all those people died. I'm telling you, there's one root cause of all of that, and it is Satan. Amen. He is a murderer. His intent in the Garden of Eden was to murder Adam and Eve. It's, Jesus said that. He says he was a liar from the beginning, and he was a murderer. And he has the blood of man on his hands because he intended to murder man. I believe with all of my heart that Satan thought in his misunderstanding. See, he didn't know everything. He knew a lot, but he didn't know everything. But I think he thought they were going to die on the spot, that he could kill them on the spot when they disobeyed God. And yet, what intervened? Tell me what intervened. It was the love and the mercy of God that intervened, that didn't kill them on the spot for breaking the commandment of God. Oh, why do you think they were hiding over there? They felt like the, the sword of God, the wrath of God was going to come right down upon them. And they're dead men. But it was the mercy of God. It was the covenant of God. It was the Son of God. It was the God, the nation-making God that said, I'll spare them from that. And I think Satan was over there stamping his foot and saying, I thought I had them. So he's got to retool and regroup and find another way. And he's been doing that ever since. 100-year span. 300 million. 186 million due to war. Now listen to this. 150 million in this study because of human decision. Now that's a fancy way of dressing up something really, really ugly. That human decision of 150 million, a great portion of that is attributed to communist regimes, socialism. You young people need to hear this. Because socialism is a murderous spawn of Satan. You say, well, it all looks good on paper. It always looks good on paper. But 150 million, and it comes from what they call in, in the socialist, the communist countries, it, call, it comes from austerity campaigns, which that just basically means we got too many people and we need to purge them. They purge their own people. They starve their own people because it doesn't fit into the paper that they've drawn up that says this is going to work. <laughs> you say, well, we're here to bash the communists. I'm here to bash the one that is behind such things, and that is Satan. I don't know if you felt like I did last Wednesday whenever things were so bad. 
I'll tell you this, though. What I saw on Wednesday, it made me lose just that much more confidence in political parties and man. And it made me turn and be able to only put confidence in one who is over all of that, the God of the nations. See? It says, I believe in the Psalms, it says, put not your trust in princes. Put not your trust in political parties. I was disappointed in all aspects of what I saw that day. And it made me think, oh, Lord, help us. As a matter of fact, when I was preparing my prayer request list for today to present to the church, I was naming off all those names. And I always get to a section that says, you know, our country, our leaders, our president, our president-elect, the administration. And underneath that, I just put, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Because if you're looking for a political party to deliver you, it's not going to happen. If you're looking for a socialist regime to deliver you, it is definitely not going to (laughs) happen. You see, God has made nations so that there's something that could exist inside those nations throughout history that would please and honor him. In the Old Testament, he had a nation that he was able to preserve, at least for a long period of time, certain things that he wanted to be exhibited by by this one nation, and that was the nation of Israel, and then even they didn't keep it. But by the Lord's hand of providence, his truth was preserved. How was it preserved? You want to take a guess about how that ties into the nations? It was preserved through a family. You hear me? I want to share with you a couple quotes from a book that has moved me. It's a book by deceased U.S. Senator Jeremiah Denton, who served in the U.S. military during the Vietnam War, and he was a prisoner of war in the communist regime of North Vietnam for seven and a half years. And he wasn't just a prisoner of war. He was a tortured prisoner of war. The godless focus of such a hateful and God-hating regime tortured the men of America that were taken captive. And I want you to listen to what he says. He says, the family is the engine that drives civilization. Throughout history, those cultures that have failed to found their rules and attitudes of society on the central importance of the family unit have decayed and disintegrated. That's like an omen upon our nation. (laughs) But don't forget, this is not gloom and doom. You gotta remember what I'm about to share with you of the purpose of the nations. Why are the nations here? So, we see who is the maker of nations. And we see what a nation is. It's made up of families, languages, and a language and lands. And we see one of the reasons of why God made the nations, it was to thwart the murderer so that he could not gain control over the nations and fulfill his bloodthirsty schemes. There have been a few times in history when the imp Satan has been successful in maneuvering and manipulating. You look at the days of World War II. Only by God's providence and grace do you not speak German or Japanese. I'm telling you. It was the, if if you're ignorant of that, if you're unknowing about that, it's worth looking into. Just Just like books like this are worth looking into. History's there. It tells the tale. What in the world could stop such an evil, wicked, bloodthirsty madman you know what stopped Hitler (laughs) it was his own bloodthirstiness he was not satisfied with just this he wanted this and then he wanted this and then he wanted this he wanted the world does it not sound like Satan he wants the world and he would stop at nothing to get it I tell you the moving engine behind that war machine and behind that bloodlust was none other than Satan himself And they'll call me uneducated even for saying that today. It's the truth. If you believe in God's word, it's the truth. 
What stemmed that tide? I tell you, the God of the nations was not going to allow it to happen. But in Revelation 20, we have an interesting little verse as we close out our thoughts here tonight. I appreciate your patience. I appreciate your kindness in letting an old preacher have a first, first go at this. Funny thing about sermons, and none of us really like leftovers, but the funny thing about sermons I've found is that the second time you preach it is usually the better time. The leftover is usually the better time. But anyway, we'll, we'll see if that remains true. Revelation 20, he says, I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan. Can it be any question who we're talking about? <laughs> and bound him a thousand years. Watch why he was bound. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. You hear that? And now read on. It says, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Oh, brothers and sisters, I believe we're living in that little season. I could be wrong. I fully admit it. But I believe that Satan goes about to deceive the nations. I'm not telling you that I have all that figured out, how he does it and when he does it, but I'll tell you when you see bloodlust, whenever you see the shedding of innocent blood, whenever you see the blood of the martyrs flow like, like rivers, then you'll know for sure. But I'll tell you there's been blood flowing already for many years in the United States of America. There's been the blood of the innocents flowing through the so-called abortion, which is nothing more than murder. You want to know about a regime that Satan is behind? I'm telling you Satan's behind that. Anytime you find the innocent blood being shed, you'll find Satan. He has bloodlust like you would not believe. He's not just there to try to give you, to, give you a temptation so that you can have some fun for a little while and then feel bad about it later. He hates you as a child of God. He's trying to shed your blood. And there's been many children of God, if not all of the children of God that died in, uh, before they came into this world through abortion by the abortioner's knife. There's been many children of God, if not all of them being children of God, which I believe they were, <laughs> that Satan has snuffed out. How many doctors, how, many, how, many, how much more advanced in medicine could we be today if those, those children had been allowed to live? How much more advanced could we be on the road to technology if those little children had been allowed to live? But I tell you, Satan would have them to die and to shed their blood. He is the blood letter. You want to know why the nations are here? It's so Satan can't get in control. But there's coming a time when he will. Don't fear. Don't fear, child of God. Because this is the precursor to whenever the Lord gathers all the nations. You ever notice those little key words there? Matthew 25. It says that all nations shall be gathered before him. Why do you think? It's because God is the master over all nations. God has created the, the, the process of nations and the creation of nations. He's done that himself for his own purposes. And though he's not responsible for the wickedness or the atrocities or the murder or the killings and the things that nations have done on this earth, I tell you, he is the, he is the one that institutes the whole framework of nations <laughs> and listen Matthew 25 and 31 says that before him shall be gathered all nations first Peter the second chapter I believe this is the last place we'll turn to <laughs> first Peter the second chapter you want to know the whole ultimate purpose of nations one reason is to keep Satan at bay see having different families with different languages with different lands in different places throughout the world, it keeps Satan from having total dominating control like he tried to do with the Tower of Babel. But there's coming a time when those restrictions will be removed. And you can just rest assured that around that time when that happens, lift up your head for your redemption draws nigh. <laughs> I'm not saying the minute, the second, the hour. We're not date setters. But when those events begin to take place, you can just look up because the Lord's coming. It might be five years. It might be ten years. It might be a hundred years. But he's coming. <laughs> In First Peter 2. 
In verse 9 it says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. How about that now? God has a nation within a nation. All throughout the world. I don't know. I've traveled some throughout the world. I've been to a lot of different places. I've been to places in Africa, and I would find that nation within a nation when I went to Africa. There'd be God's people there loving and serving the Lord. I've been to places in the middle of Africa, like Zambia, and there'd be God's people there living and loving and serving the Lord. I've been to West Africa, where you had a place like Ghana, and there were people there living and loving and serving the Lord in the nation of God. I've been up north in the United States of America. I've been down south in the United States of America. I've been out west in the United States of America. America and there's a nation within every nation and it is the people of God Amen. you want to know the ultimate purpose for nations God's got a nation right now among this nation <laughs> and you're a part of it Amen. and you don't need to be putting all your time and all your energy and fretting and fearing and worrying pray for our nation of course but understand the purpose of our nation it's going to go the way of extinction one day if it's, if it's going to be here when the Lord comes back, then whoever the president is in the White House, and I don't know who it will be, and I don't know when it will be, but whoever it is, whenever it says in Matthew 25 and 31 that the Lord will gather all nations, you may look around to your right or to your left, and you'll see that president down there on his knee. You'll look around to your right or to your left, and you'll see that dictator down there on his knee. You'll see that president. You'll see that dictator. You'll see that king. You'll see that queen. All nations will be gathered together, and they will come to pay honor to the maker of nations. Don't fret, child of God. If what happened on Wednesday causes you to look away from the Republicans, the Democrats, the Independents, the whatever, if it causes you to look away from that and put a little less trust in that, then praise God. <laughs> because men are going to disappoint you. Women are going to disappoint you. It doesn't matter who is sitting on a throne somewhere or sitting in a, an oval office somewhere. Men and women are going to disappoint you. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the maker of nations, the king of nations, Let's just read it. I said I wasn't going to read anymore, but I'm going to read. Revelation 20. Notice it says, after Satan was loosed a little season, verse 3, he says, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, not men's thrones, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, which is the beast of nations had not worshipped the image of the beast, had not received the mark of the beast in their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead lived not again until these thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is that that hath part in the first resurrection. Now go to verse 7. And when the thousand years had expired, Satan shall be loosed from his prison, and he shall go out to deceive the nations. It tells you twice that's going to happen. Which are in the four quarters of the earth. Sounds like the Tower of Babel all over again, doesn't it? Gather them together to battle. What do you think he's battling against? Who does Satan hate the most? He hates the seed of God. He, makes, he hates the children of God. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and could pass the camp of the saints about. And the beloved city, that's the, that's the nation of God. That's the city of God. That's the people of God. The people of God, as God said, are His inheritance. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. There's not even a battle, child of God. It may look bad and the odds are terrible and we don't have any way to fight back. But I'm telling you, the Lord, the God of nations, He is the one that fights for you. He is the one that will devour, you see. And watch verse 11. <clears throat> and I saw <clears throat> a great white throne and Him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. 
And there was no place for them. Found no place for them. You see, this is God. This is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. He's never abdicated His throne. He's the nation maker. He's the nation breaker. He's the one that defines what a nation is. And He's the one that uses the nations through the years to let the nation within the nation continue to survive and thrive. I'm thankful for our nation. I've said for years that our nation has been a, a harbinger of the church of God. And you can rest assured when it ceases to be a harbinger of the church of God, God will have no more use for it. Because that's the purpose of the nations. While I was studying this and, and talking with a, at least one other minister about this, this third minister, who didn't even know what we were talking about, texted this song. And it's a, it's a modern song, contemporary Christian song. And I just wept when I read it because he had no idea what we were studying. <laughs> and it goes like this. Though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains, that my God is the Ancient of Days. Though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, He is here with me. I am not alone. Oh, His love is sure, and He knows my name, for my God is the Ancient of Days. Though I may not see what the future brings, I will watch and wait for the Savior King. Then my joy complete, standing face to face in the presence of the Ancient of Days. None above Him, none before Him, all of time in His hands. For His throne, it shall remain and ever stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in His name. For my God is the Ancient of Days. What in the world kind of difference could a little congregation in Zion Primitive Baptist Church you're so far from Washington, D.C. You're so far from having any kind of influence or power. What in the world could this message mean to you? What could it mean to me? Other than to tell us, don't cling to these princes. Amen. Don't cling to these things that the political parties put out. Don't faint because of new times and new ways and new things. Cling to the ancient of days. There's a king that goes back before the dawn of time, who's set up on a throne before the dawn of time. That's not fairy tale stuff. It's not magic. It is a reality in the eternity that we have never seen. Amen. And whenever he grows weary of this place, and whenever he says this nation is done, and whenever he says it's time for me to come, all of the nations will gather before him, and the Ancient of Days will sit upon the throne of his, of his mercy, praise God, and he'll rule over that. And right now, I promise you, on the authority of the Word of God, He's ruling now. Amen. I'm going to close with these words from the good senator who's long passed. But I don't think I can say anything else. My voice is about gone. In the epilogue of the book that Senator Jeremiah Denton wrote on his captivity, seven and a half year captivity and torture in North Vietnam, he says, our laws and customs were constructed to reflect the Ten Commandments, not only to provide for a good life after death, but for a good life on earth. I love that. Christians believe Christ's order to love thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind and strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. We try to live by that golden rule in our public and private life. Unfortunately, 
the commandments and the golden rule are being forgotten by our society. To achieve our rebirth, we must recall them. Only then can we expect to survive. As William Penn said, men must choose to be governed by God or condemn themselves to be governed by tyrants. The tyrants are waiting as we continue to bleed from self-inflicted wounds. And that's something that was written in 1982. I'm so glad the good senator's not here anymore to see what's going on. I'm so glad my dad's not here to see the misery and destruction that men have brought upon this nation and upon this world. But even though I'm glad they're not here, I don't wish my life away. I don't wish I was somewhere else. There's no place I'd rather be than right here with you. There's no better message that I'd rather preach to you after seeing what happened last Wednesday or after seeing the events that happen every day. And there's no better message I can think of to preach than what, what crisis may come tomorrow because it's coming. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Lift up your head. The God of the nations is on his throne. And just like an old piece of paper, when he gets tired of the nation that doesn't serve him anymore, he just tosses it away. But his, his nation of people of God live on. May we praise him. May the Lord bless you. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.